Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Earth 2 podcast, your weekly show that explores the origins and developments of the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters through the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson and I'm buzzing for this episode, are you? Yes, I'm David Steele, welcome back, thank you for joining us and as a member of the World Aquanaut Security Patrol, I couldn't be more excited about this episode. <laughs> yes, <laughs> listeners, welcome to No Wasps. We really like doing these episodes, the portmanteau episodes oh, where yes. we discuss the, the legacy of DC Comics characters who share the same name. Mm-hmm. In this case, we're going for some villains that have a common link, which you probably guessed already. We've said in the past, and we've been asked actually a couple of times on the socials, what attention we're going to give to the Golden Age stories of DC Comics were reprinting in the early 70s, you know, in the 100 pages and the 52 pages, etc. Mm-hmm. And we said that we're going to mention them where we come to them, but we're not going to read every single one that gets reprinted because we'd never get done. I mean, there's some <laughs> great stuff out there, but we'd literally be here till doomsday if we tried to do every single one of them. But it's nice to be aware of them and think that readers at the time, and indeed even readers now, can think of them as new or two stories or, or whatever. Uh-huh. They're a great resource for comic book historians or people at us who are JSA fans who wanted to read more stories of these characters. We've said this all in the past. But there are a couple of solely reprint series that we are going to cover and do stories from. Those being Secret Origins and, of course, Wanted, the world's most dangerous villains. Yes. Wanted being an excellent series that reprints all sorts of stories, featuring all sorts of heroes and all sorts of bad guys. And in the very early stages of our prep for our Wanted episode, Pete and I were discussing what stories from the series that we would do. And at this point, we haven't actually yet still decided which ones we're going to do. Although <laughs> yesterday we did kind of agree which ones from Secret Origins we're going to do, so yes. we can look forward to that. In our prep, we noticed that there was a, an issue of Wanted which featured a story featuring Wildcat against a character called the Yellow Wasp, although the cover describes him as the Golden Wasp. And I think it's Peter who pointed out that around about the same time, there was an issue of The Flash, mm-hmm. the 100-page issue 214, featured a reprint of a Quicksilver story where he also fought someone called the Wasp. And this very quickly led us to think, oh, shall we do a spontaneous portmanteau episode about wasps? Of course we shall. Of course we will. So yes, (laughs) no wasps, as we've called it. And I hope you all like the image that I've posted on Instagram today. It's a reference to one of Peter and I's favourite Channel 4 comedy programmes of the, the late 80s and early 90s, a series called Absolutely. Yes. And it's spin-off Mr. Don and Mr. George, which mm-hmm. featured the legends that are Jack Doherty and Maury Hunter. So, listeners, if you're not familiar with them, and <laughs> you probably won't be, you should go and look them up on YouTube and have a right <laughs> old laugh at the sort of things we were laughing at 30 years ago. Yes. So, Wasps in Comics. It's an obvious name for a bad guy, isn't it? It certainly is. I mean, it has got a kind of menacing feel about them. No one really likes being chased by a wasp, do they? No. No, not really. They have got an inbuilt weapon. Mm. Yeah, it's not a nice thing. Can you remember ever being stung by a wasp, Peter? I don't think I have. One time I was in the window of Forbidden Planet in Glasgow (laughs) in the Buchanan Street store. And I was moving something and there was a nip at my hand and I thought it might have been a sting on something, but I'm not 100% sure. Right. There was certainly a wasp in the area at the time, but I didn't actually see it at my hand. So, I don't know, maybe it's just psychological. We're going to start a true crime podcast as well, listeners, about who was it that injured Peter's hand. It's going to be up there with my podcast about whether or not my Uncle John did steal my nose when I was two years old. <gasps> he did. 
that's a different nosy put back. I've got a vague memory of being at the beach with my mum and my gran at one point and getting stung in the ear by a wasp. I think it was a wasp or a bee. I think it was a wasp. I'll need to ask my mum, but knowing her, she probably won't remember. <gasps> Gasp. Anyway, listeners, have you ever been stung by a wasp? Write in and let us know. We'll give you the contact details at the end of the episode. So, listeners, if you're familiar with our portmanteau episodes, you know that we do a number of stories featuring characters with similar names. Perhaps our most celebrated was our early episode where we, we did The Road to the Crime Syndicate, where we talked about the stories that featured characters with names the same as members of that Earth 3 super team yes. and also our, our very successful Road to the Doom Patrol episode from roughly this time last year, which was a lot of fun putting together. Mm-hmm. So we're not, not really, I think we've done for one for a while. Was that the last time we did one? Oh, I can't remember. The whole emergence of one <laughs> after, I, after I put them together. Yeah, after we scored this. I mean, we're past our... We're past the 150th episode. I, to be honest, I thought by our 150th episode we'd be up to the Losers Crisis crossover by now, but there you go. <laughs> it shows how <laughs> naive I am. Certainly in the future, we'll probably do a few more portmanteau episodes because there are lots and lots of names yes. that have been reused and used and reused. And, and we like springing them on you, quite frankly. <laughs> and they're a lot of fun to put together. So the theme today being wasps. Now, as usual, we're going to work chronologically. And as usual, Peter has been doing some digging around to find as many details about stories and characters and stuff. So yes. there's a few stories that we could have done today, one of which we're going to hold off for another legacy-style episode far, far in the future. Yes. And a couple, obviously, that we're going to give you very brief summaries on. So that the mm-hmm. first one that we considered doing chronologically was a story that featured the Fawcett Comics character, Spy Smasher. Yay. So Spy Smasher made his first appearance alongside Captain Marvel in the first published issue of Wiz Comics in February 1940. And he appeared in Wiz Comics all the way up till issue 83 in January 1947, which is very exciting. He had 11 issues of his own series between June 1941 and February 1943. And after the war, he appeared in one issue of a comic entitled Crime Smasher, because there was no spies to smash after the war had finished, and that came out in May 1948. Spy Smasher was the secret identity of a chap called Alan Armstrong, and if that doesn't sound like an alliterative chat show host or British character actor or <laughs> HMV security guard, I don't know what does. Yes. He got up to all sorts of adventures with his assistant Eve and the help of Admiral Corby. Spy Smasher will appear eventually in the podcast properly, obviously. Mm-hmm. So just very brief details on him here. Peter's now going to give us some details on a story where Spy Smasher encountered a wasp, aren't you, Peter? Certainly am. This is from Spy Smasher issue 7, which was published on the 26th of August 1942. The writer for this one's unknown, but the pencils are by Emil Gershwin. Interesting. There's no credit for the inks, but uh, Comics.org suggests it might be Gene McDonald who inked this one. Okay. So, we shall see. And the story goes like this. Spy Smasher investigates the mysterious deaths of 23 workers at the key defence plant, Dorf Motor Works. Each dead worker was found with a note saying, Another sting from the Golden Wasp. He checks out the main suspect, Carl Winnegar's house, and he finds a clue in the form of a note from the Golden Wasp and theorises that Winnegar may actually be the next target. Uh-oh. Meanwhile, Admiral Corby's daughter, Eve, that's Spy Smasher's girlfriend, has been kidnapped by the Golden Wasp. Spy Smasher flies off in his gyro sub, which is a really cool bit of kit. It's like a mm-hmm. flying submarine kind of thing. It's, it's fantastic. So he flies off in that to track her down, and is attacked by a squadron of Nazi bombers. He lures them within range of US forces anti-aircraft fire who manage to take them out. He then finds a secret base of Nazi 5th columnists in an area where Eve was last seen. 
As he snoops around, he's attacked by a guard who's disguised as a scarecrow. Spy Smasher knocks him out and discovers the secret entrance the scarecrow was guarding, hidden inside a well. Within the base, a masked man with a wasp logo on his chest is holding a Nazi rally. Gosh! Yes. Spy Smasher's presence is discovered, and the golden wasp releases a couple of hives worth of wasps to attack him. Spy Smasher manages to escape, but after another death attributed to the golden wasp, Spy Smasher returned to the hidden base where he discovers a large aeroplane hangar. He flies in, rescues Eve, and blows up the hangar with their own bombs. Fantastic. Yeah. And finally, he punches out and unmasks the golden wasp, who turned out to be Carl Winnegar all along. There we are, action adventure. Well, follow me, as Ricky Fulton used to say. Wow. <laughs> it's not the most exciting wasp-style costume, really, is it? No. It's a bit of a mask and just sort of like a, a logo stuck to his chest. <laughs> <laughs> Which you see, like, in one panel. Yeah. We decided not to cover that one because it is quite long and it is quite dry, although the synopsis is quite fun. Yeah. Peter's <laughs> synopsis is much more entertaining than reading the actual story. Worth pointing out, of course, that Spy Smasher also had a, a movie serial back in the day alongside, you know, people like Captain yes. Marvel and Vigilante and Blackhawk, so mm-hmm. maybe we should do an episode where we talk about some of the movie serials. Maybe we'll do that far in the future. We could do. Maybe we won't. I don't know. We'll we see what happens. Who knows? Stay tuned and find out. Maybe someone else will steal the idea and launch their own podcast about such things. <laughs> I would listen to it, certainly. So, mm. thank you, Spy Smasher. We will see you again, doubtless, in the page, either in the pages of Shazam or the pages of Justice League, but you, he will yes. be back now. Moving forward, as we said at the top, one of the inspirations was the reprint of a, the Wildcat story from Sensation Comics 66 in the pages of Wanted Issue 6. But this was not the only time that Wildcat encountered the Yellow Wasp, was it, Peter? It certainly wasn't, no. There were a couple of battles before that. Now, the Yellow Wasp first appeared in The Sting of the Yellow Wasp from Sensation Comics number 20. That was the 4th of June, 1943. Wow. He was created by writer Bill Finger, if you might know him, and artist Paul Reinman. And the story goes like this. The yellow wasp robs a bank with the aid of a satchel full of wasps and his stinger gun, which fires paralysing darts. I'll give you a brief description of him. He's a a stout man with a hideous green face and bulging yellow eyes. I'm not actually sure if it's a mask or not. Right. He wears a yellow outfit with black stripe highlights and green wings. Now, during this robbery, he escapes in his custom yellow roadster with black stripes and has a sting on the back. (laughs) Shades of the fiddler's car there. (laughs) Now, his next crime is to rob the takings from a boxing match. It just so happens Ted Grant is nearby and changes into Wildcat to stop him. The yellow wasp escapes and drives off, but Wildcat pursues on his catacycle, but the wasp gets away. Back at his headquarters, the yellow wasp kills his getaway driver with a poison dart to instill fear and loyalty in his other henchmen. Oh my goodness. Next day, one of the henchmen goes to the office of Detective Stretch Skinner. That's Wildcat's sometime comedy sidekick. That was so common in the Golden Age. Now, Stretch is a tall, lanky private investigator in a plaid suit and boater hat. The henchman tells Stretch where he can find the yellow wasp. Stretch leaves a note for Wildcat, of course. It's a trap. The yellow wasp captures our heroes and slowly releases his wasps that will sting them to death. Wildcat starts a fire and the smoke disorientates the wasps long enough for them to make their escape. In the yellow wasp's headquarters, Wildcat notices a newspaper open at an article about singer Honey Davis, who is performing in a club. Sure enough, 
the yellow wasp and his men try to rob the club, but Wildcat and Stretch are waiting and capture the baddies. So yeah, that's his debut story. Interesting. He made one other appearance before the story we're about to cover, and that was from Sensation Comics 25. That's the 5th of November, 1943. In a very originally titled, The Return of the Yellow Wasp. <laughs> Look out, he's back. <laughs> uh, the writer's unknown for this one, but it's still Paul Ryman doing the art. The imprisoned Yellow Wasp, who's in full costume, by the way, escapes by luring wasps into his cell to attack a guard. <laughs> he returns to his old gang and seemingly kills the new leader with his stinger. That night, Wildcat overhears a police radio saying the yellow wasp is robbing a payroll. He rushes there with Stretch in time to foil the robbery, but, surprise, surprise, the wasp escapes. Wildcat and Stretch check out the wasp's old hideout and find the body of the henchman, but it turns out he wasn't killed, just paralysed. So they'd rush him to hospital, where the delirious hood mumbles something about the Brummett building. Wildcat and Stretch go there and find the yellow wasp, and after a brief chase, capture him in flypaper! Amazing. So there we are. That's the, the second appearance of the yellow wasp. Amazing. Thanks that, Peter. Quite interesting that the wasp came back so soon as he did. Mm-hmm. You know, not too long between those two first two appearances. But quite a gap, actually, because until his next one, because Sensation Comics 66 was not published until April 1947. Yes. So it's a good few years that he'd been away. Mm-hmm. So the cover of Sensation Comics 66 features a little boy squaring up to a bad man and saying, scared of me, huh? And it looks so Wonder Woman's going to lasso him. But that's obviously nothing to do with the story that we're going to cover. <laughs> <laughs> but obviously, we're reading it from its reprint in issue six of Wanted, yes. which was published on the 14th of December, 1972. Don't worry, listeners, our dedicated Wanted episode will be along before too long. Mm-hmm. And on the cover of Wanted issue six, we can see this story, as well as some others, reprints the first appearance of The Mist, that fabled Starman villain. Awesome. And doubtless our pal Ross will be covering that on his Opal City Confidential podcast before too long. And the cover image on issue six of Wanted featuring Wildcat and the Golden Wasp, not the Yellow Wasp, it says in the cover. I'm not going to tell you about it because it's a bit of a spoiler for what happens in the story. Yes. We don't want to get too ahead of ourselves with all that. So, without further ado, if you have your copy of Wanted issue six, or if you have the nice handy hardcover that DC put out a couple of years ago that reprinted all of these reprints, mm-hmm. my sister got me a copy for my birthday a couple of years ago, which was nice of her. Thank you, Alison. You might be able to read along with us. So... We begin with a a large, almost splash panel that takes up the full length and shows Wildcat punching the Yellow Wasp, who looks very super villainy here, it must be said. He's Mm -hmm. very modern look to him. He's wearing a yellow unitard with some black stripe detailing, green trunks. He has green wings, which appear to be fixed on with a harness. He has an almost flat top style. (laughs) It looks like a black hair, but it's probably just part of a mask. I'm not sure. But he has a a very obvious sort of mask on, which gives him large, bulbous insect eyes. In this opening panel, we see Wildcat and the Wasp struggling as they fall in front of what looks like a subway train onto the tracks. Terrifying. And actually, very like the cover image that I just decided I wasn't going to tell you about. But anyway, (laughs) we have an opening caption, which reads... Look out! That deadly humming noise is the grim signal of the yellow wasp. Adopting the methods of preying insects, a winged killer lays siege to a horrified city. Clinging to the insect man's trail is Wildcat, whose only reward is the promise of slow death inside the den of terror known as the wasp's nest. Right. 
straight into it, no hanging back. There's a caption for the next panel that says, The height of the shopping hour in a large city when, suddenly, an ominous dark cloud looms overhead. Yes, we can see some pedestrians looking up at, yeah, a cloud in the sky, a dark, creepy-looking thing. Someone in a long overcoat says, What is it? A rain cloud? And another chap with a hat, he points up at the sky and he says, That cloud, it's getting closer! So obviously something going on, but then the final panel of this opening page, it's revealed that it's a cloud of wasps and we see pedestrians falling over in the street and screaming and panicking as they're attacked by the buzzing insects. The man in the overcoat cries, Big wasps! They're stinging me! Ah! Another man cries, Take them away! Take them And a blonde lady cries, Wasps! Ah! Awful. First panel of page two is a caption. It says, Masked figures appear and loot with practiced precision. Two suited and significantly masked men, they look like the sort of masks that we all had to wear during the pandemic, have suddenly appeared amongst all of the collapsed pedestrians and started going through their pockets and picking up handbags. The first guy says, wallets, purses, and his pal says, Watches, bracelets, check. This is working out fine. And on the rooftop above the strange scene, we are greeted with our first proper view of the yellow wasp. And he's terrifying, quite frankly. He looks like a proper mid-70s Marvel Spider-Man villain or something to my eyes. He looks great. Yes. He's standing on a rooftop looking down at what's going on and he says, The fortunes of war change. A week ago in prison counting the torturous seconds. Wait for execution. Our last-minute escape, and the yellow wasp is free to strike again. Caption for panel three then says, Cleverly reinforced wings serve the yellow wasp as twin gliders. Yes, the wasp takes to the air, saying, Crimes on even a more colossal scale than before. That is my answer to the one who sought to destroy me. Yes, wildcat. And when we meet again... As we inevitably must, I shall triumph. In the next panel, we're back with the two suited and masked baddies that we met earlier on. They're down in the street. The first one points up and says, Look, the yellow wasp. And his mate says, The boss? Good. That paralyzing stuff he put on them wasp stingers sure made this crime a snap for us. The next panel, a couple of policemen in a car have arrived on the scene. The first one says, Holy Hannah! Everyone's out cold. Pull over to the curb, says his mate. In the next panel, the wasp flies overhead. This is a cracking panel. This is so dynamic, it's brilliant. The wasp flies overhead and says, (sighs) The police arrived too soon. How unfortunate for them. The next panel, he flies down to the car. The first policeman cries, Look! And the second one says, Emergency! Emergency! He's obviously going for his radio, but the wasp fires on them. With his stinger gun, there's a brilliant zing sound effect, taking them both out. Oh dear. Over the page, the caption for the first panel on page three says, That moment, the office of Stretch Skinner. Yes, Stretch Skinner sat in his chair with his legs and his feet up over his desk, almost going over the other side. It kind of looks like a, a cross between Rodney Trotter and Turlow, and that's all the explanation you're going to get from <laughs> me as to what that means. If you're, a, yes, if you're very much that so. way inclined, you can look them up. Stretch is appropriately stretched out. And his pal, Ted Grant, is with him. Ted is listening to the radio. There's a calendar on the wall. We can see that it's the 7th of whichever month this appears to be taking place in. That's interesting. Will that detail be significant? Hmm. 
Stretch is saying, Did I ever tell you, Ted, about the time I solved Wildcat's toughest case? Many times, Stretch. There's a click of a switch, as Ted plays with the radio, continuing. I think that tuning into the short wave will be easier on my ears. That ain't polite. Shh, listen. Huh? And a voice from the radio says, Emergency! Calling from town square! Huge insect firing odd pistol! No, no, ah! That's obviously the policeman that we, that we were with a moment ago. Stretch stands up, puts on his straw boater, and makes like a tree, saying, It's long, Ted. This be a job for Detective Skinner. Ted thinks. Ted looks immaculate here, actually. We should point out he's wearing a very smart suit and bow tie and everything. Is that what he wore when he wasn't being Wildcat all the time? You can <laughs> see. Wildcat thinks. Sounds like the Wasp. He continues. Personally, I think it's more of a job for Wildcat. We see him taking off his smart suit, putting on his Wildcat uniform and taking to the roofs. See the telegraph poles. Very, very effective. And he obviously thinks he's going to be a lot more used than Stretch. The caption for the next panel. Shortly, at Town Square. Yes, we see that the police car that we were with a moment ago has been overturned. Gosh, this looks like the smoke coming from it. The wasp is walking away, saying, Come, men. My stinger put those clumsy police to sleep. And his cohort is saying, Bruh, wouldn't set myself against you for a million bucks. And then, suddenly appearing on the scene, it's Wildcat who says, I would, for nothing. The wasp lunges forward in the first panel of the next page, saying, Wildcat! We meet again! But this time... We'll end up as last time, with the yellow wasp in jail! The wasp takes a swipe at Wildcat in the next panel, saying, Braggart! The darting speed of the wasp cannot be parried! Wildcat punches back with a whack, saying, But the paw of the wildcat does fairly well in its own way! Significantly, he knocks off the wasp's Mask at this point. We can see in the next panel his real human face underneath. The wasp's second cohort uses his pistol and strikes Wildcat in the back of the head in the next panel, saying, Too bad you ain't got eyes in the back of your head, hero. And with an ugh, Wildcat collapses to the ground. The wasp says, He will never live to threaten me again. As he reaches for his mask, Stretch Skinner arrives on the scene in the next panel, being all arms and legs, and he says, Hey, just a minute. What are you doing to Wildcat? And we can see that the, the wasp's two assistants are carrying Wildcat away. The wasp replies, Bargain day! This long-legged fool helped Wildcat put me in jail. And then he fires his stinger gun in the next panel. There's a sound effect and the wasp says, You two will die, but first a potion of my paralysis gas. Skinner reaches for his throat coughing and he says can't breathe uh, uh. and this page runs out in a close-up of the the hideous human face of the wasp as he says and now away with them quickly before more police come a slow dissolve then top of the next page the caption for the first panel says later the nest of the yellow wasp yeah, we're in the wasp's base. He's sat on a weird kind of throne that has what looks like two giant eyes on either side of it. One of his goons from before is there. We can see Stretch. We see Wildcat. Stretch has his hands behind his back where we can only postulate that his hands might be tied in the same way that Wildcat's are. We can see that Wildcat's hands have been secured with rope. The wasp, who hasn't put his mask back on, is lounging in his throne and he's saying, Stupid lawmen, daring to put your puny ways against me. I... I who have studied my wasps so well that I am like one of them. 
We track in for a closer shot of him in the next panel as he continues. The little wasp takes what he wants. He is cruel. A killer when necessary, and so am I. Nothing stops the wasp. As death greets you, remember that, my sable hero. And another slow dissolve and another caption. Shortly in the basement of the wasp's lair... Yes, we can see that Wildcat has been further secured with ropes around his knees, around his ankles. He's down on the ground. We can see a sink in the background. That may be significant. The wasp standing in a doorway leading upwards from this room is saying... In a short while, your gangling friend accompanies me to my next crime. You know, Wildcat, I love to work underground... The next hour will be very pleasant for me, while you, you will die here in my burrow by the stings of my wasps. They will enter one at a time as you stare at the window which you cannot reach. Yes, we can see the vague impression of the window in the wall above Wildcat and some buzzing sounds as some wasps start to arrive. Now, is that, are they coming through a hole in the wall? It looks as though they are. Yeah, he's uncocked a hole in the wall, yeah. It looks as though he's moved a little thing out of the way and they're buzzing through. So, yeah, this is for the <laughs> the Golden Age artwork. Maybe he falls a little short. Yeah. But not to worry. Another slow dissolve. Then, alone. We can see the wasps buzzing around Ted, who's still lying on the ground. And Wildcat starts to angle his legs up towards the sink. Wildcat's thinking... I notice that the wasp keeps himself covered with a wet solution. Probably protects him from stings. Hmm. Water would do as well. At the next panel, he manages to use his heels to turn on one of the taps. Well, that's good. The wildcat thinks, ah, that does it. And a caption for the final panel of page five. Long minutes later. Yep, the sink is overflowing. Wildcat is being borne up by the water and he thinks... There's just the barest chance that I can float up to that window. If I fail, it's curtains. We're right at the top of page six, the caption for the first panel. Meanwhile, a distance away... Yes, we see that the wasp, now wearing a hat and a long coat as a disguise, is running down a flight of steps. His two goons are following him. They're carrying stretch between them. The wasp says... Down here, quickly! And his pal says... Right, boss! They appear to be moving through... Well, it's obviously a subway tunnel because we can see by the shape of the roof, we can see the cables hanging from the wall. The wasp is shining a torch in front of them so they can see where they're going. I am miming, for the benefit of our YouTube viewers, someone shining a torch in front of them. The wasp is saying, We're almost at our destination. How I'll delight in watching Wildcat's foolhardy assistant helpers. And Stretch, who has a mask around his face, obviously to stop him from crying out, thinks, Woe is me! And then we have a fantastic caption, which stretches the full left-hand side of the next panel that says, That moment! And we see Wildcat still floating in the water. The water level is raised considerably. He's floating up above the sink at this point, and he's thinking, So near, and yet so far, this is agony. Poor Stretch! He's obviously worried about his pal. The caption of the next panel. And then, finally... With a crash, Wildcat manages to break the window by kicking it. And he thinks, At last! It won't take more than a moment to cut my bonds on the glass shards. Cut my bonds on the glass shards? That's very articulate for Wildcat, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> There's a slow dissolve the next panel. We see him exiting the Wasp's hideout, which looks like a really bizarre tree-shaped building with a weird awning and weird windows and stuff. Yeah. 
We can see the water overflowing from the basement. Wildcat's made his escape. And a full moon, take a drink, looms in the background as Wildcat legs it, saying, Must get to a phone at once. Contact the necessary officials. Shortly? Yep, you see Wildcat in a phone box using an old-style phone where he has to hold the earpiece up to his ear and speak into the, the mounted microphone. Gasp. Yes, young kids won't understand this whatsoever at all. <laughs> Wildcat, we don't know who he's talking to at the moment, but we hear him saying, What point will it pass in five minutes? The final panel of page six, dynamic shot of Wildcat running towards us as he says, It's a slim chance, a stray shot in the dark, but it's the only chance. Faster, faster. He's trying to drive himself. First panel of page seven, we're back with the Wasp and his cohorts, and we see that Stretch is lying down on the subway track. Oh my goodness, the Wasp says, The subway payroll train will reach this spot in two minutes. Anyone want to bet the motorman seeing that fool's body in time to stop the train from running over him? And his cohort <laughs> exclaims, Not me. The next panel, see the Wasp is taking off his hat and coat. He has a box in his hand. There's a buzzing sound coming from it. The wasp says, In any event, when the train is brought to a halt, my little buzzing beauties in this grip will make sure that our looting lives on undisturbed. Oh my goodness, he's so evil. Captured for panel three. Scant seconds later. Yes, there's a great little rumble sound effect. As we can see the lights of the subway train approaching. Stretch, we're done with him, is thinking, Yes, this will be the end. The end of the line. Wildcat's dead and I'll be going soon. End of the line, of course, being that fantastic Travelling Wilbury song. Mm, yes. Is that the first Travelling Wilbury song to be mentioned in the podcast? Possibly, who can say? Panel four of the drama increases as with a roar and a rumble. The subway train approaches Stretch ever closer. Stretch thinks, Goodbye, Ted. Goodbye, Wildcat. But then the next panel, thankfully, just in the nick of time, a firm hand reaches down, grabs him by the shoulder and pulls him out of the way. Caption for the next panel says, Deedle sharp claws slice through restricting bonds like butter. Yes, great rip sound effect as Wildcat uses his claws to remove Stretch's gag and his bonds. Stretch says, Wildcat, you saved my life. Wildcat replies, No time for chin music. There's work to be done. In the next panel he cries, Yellow Wasp, this is the showdown. And we see the Wasp and his two bad guy pals walking towards them. The Wasp hisses. <laughs> And we see the buzzing sound effects from the little wasp in his box that he had with him. Oh my goodness. In the first panel of page eight, the wasp says, I'll fill you so full of stingers that you will resemble a pincushion. He's got his little gun in hand. And we see in the background Stretch bonking one of the wasp's bad guys on the head. That's very amusing. In panel two, Wildcat kicks the box of wasps towards the yellow wasp, saying, Odd, isn't it? Your cherished friends seem to be flying against you. And we can see the buzzing going on as they surround the wasp. In the next panel, in the background, we see Stretch doing a fantastic uppercut that takes the other goon up into the air. And Stretch says, Take that! And party. Yes. <laughs> Reference to one of my new tattoos. And in the foreground, Wildcat punches at the wasp while shouting some encouragement to his pal. Keep those fists flying, Stretch. And then it's a spectacular punch from Wildcat, a great smack sound effect that sends the wasp flying with her. Yeah! As Wildcat says, and speaking of flying, here is the last flight of the yellow wasp. Fantastic. A slow dissolve. A caption says, Later. We see Stretch standing and Wildcat throws the yellow wasp onto a bed in a prison cell. Wildcat says, There's your new nest, but don't try to get too used to it. 
The hangman's noose is still waiting for you. The wasp replies. In the next panel, it's a nice shot of Stretch and Wildcat walking along the pavement. It's a nice fancy lamppost and, oh, take a drink because there's a waste bin right there. Stretch is saying, How in tarnation did you know where to find me, Wildcat? The yellow wasp stressed how we used all the methods of the wasps he worshipped. And he hinted his next job was underground. Subway occurred to me, a long shot, but it saved your life. And that is the end. And a caption also tells us in this, this issue of Wanted that next issue will be on sale on or about January the 11th. But obviously, we're going to talk a bit more about Wanted in a future episode. Yay. What did you think of that then? It was fascinating. See, when I did the research for the previous Yellow Wasp stories, he looks totally different from this. Ooh. This version has got like the evil moustache. His skin appears to be yellow in colour, like what his costume was uh, previously. Yeah. Whereas before, he had... As I said, I don't know if it was a mask or if it was his face. You never saw it without. But it was quite plump and it was green in colour. Right. And it was quite hideous and it looked very different from his face here. Yeah. And also, this one's quite muscular and it's got the, the full six-pack going on in the abs. Mm-hmm. Whereas in his two prior issues, he was quite a stout character. Right. Quite portly. It's an unusual change. Admittedly, this is several years later and it is a, a you know different artist and stuff, so it is quite unusual. Maybe he hit the prison gym. Maybe he did. Maybe he got super buff and made some new pals that could outfit him with some new gear. Maybe he got a cream for his green face that uh, took down the greenness and... Uh... Yeah, down, <laughs> down a bit to, to yellow. Mm-hmm. But as far as the story goes, I think it's a corker. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. The thing that struck me immediately is just that the, on the cover, we get a very striking shot of the wasp firing at Wildcat and sure. Wildcat falling into the path of the train. And then the opening sort of half-splash panel shows them Wildcat punching the wasp as they fall in front of a train. And that doesn't actually happen in the story. Not in the slightest, no, no. <laughs> Which is very disappointing. <laughs> Unless in that final big shot where Ted punches him out and he goes flying backwards, he then falls in front of a train, but we just don't see the train. Maybe that's what they're suggesting. But I was quite disappointed. But that was that was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. It rattled along. And I like that Ted had a bit of detective-style ingenuity and figured out what mm-hmm. the Wasp's plan might have been. I mean, it's not the first time he's basically left Ted in the inescapable doom trap, assuming that everything's going to go according to plan. <laughs> right. In the previous story, he killed his henchman outright, straight away. Whereas in this story, mm-hmm. he's got the mm-hmm. hero and his sidekick. And rather than just shoot them and kill them straight away... I believe you were in this trap and assume everything's going to go according to plan. <laughs> Austin Powers style. <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't. It might have been a stretch to imagine that Ted would have flooded the basement and escaped, but you'd think he might have, you know, Pavlov's sink. And <laughs> I just love the fact that you just see it in that <laughs> panel. Oh, is that sink going to be significant? Yeah, it's it's that baffling thing. Mm. You know, I remember um, Tom Baker mocking at one of his, his Doctor Who DVD commentaries, sort of saying, you know, it's great the way that baddies are saying, See, I, ha- I have you in my power, but I'm, I'm not going to kill you just yet. I've got more important yes. things to do. <laughs> How brutal would it have been if the wasp had literally just shot Wildcat in the head with an actual bullet instead of... Can you imagine such a thing happening? That'd be terrible. No, not at all. Yeah. It's interesting. That one thing that springs to mind, I have a vague memory of a modern GSA story that made a reference to a child of Wildcats or someone being stolen by by the wasp. I can't remember if that was how they, they led into the character of Tommy, who appeared in the, the circa 2007-2008 JSA ongoing. We'll have to do some digging, but maybe it's not too important to enjoy any of the stories we're talking about today. It just floated back into my memory there. I can't remember that specifically. However, there was a character called Killer Wasp, who was the son of the Yellow Wasp. Ah, yeah. That rings a bell. Yeah, he first appeared in JSA number 9 and made seven further appearances before, right. spoilers, his death 
and JSA All-Stars number three. Interesting. So yes, there's some more legacy for you folks. Post-crisis legacy, but legacy nonetheless. Yep, and still JSA adjacent, which is what yep. we try and focus on. So that was fun. Yeah, I enjoyed that. It was interesting. I think that's the first time Stretch has made his appearance on the podcast. It is, yes. I don't think he's ever been revived in an ironic, postmodern, clever... Will he turn up in the final issue of the current Stargirl miniseries to save the day? Who can Who say? Can say? Well, Jeff Jones, but you know. <laughs> I, know I think issue five's out this week, so as we, as we record, so I don't think issue six will be out by the time this episode is released. So we'll wait. we can all wait with bated breath and see if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> so were there any subsequent appearances by the, the Yellow Wasp in the Golden Age? That was it, just the three. Right. And as I said, he's very different in appearance in the, in the third one than he is compared to the other two. Yeah. So the implication there then that um, he's executed very soon <laughs> afterwards then by hanging so that's a lot of fun well it depends when he had his son maybe he escapes maybe he you know uh, lathered himself up in some wasp juice and uh, slid through the bars I don't know wasp juice uh, okay <laughs> interesting stranger things have happened who knows that was another thing they made reference to him having to kind of keep himself sort of for want of a better way of putting it, a bit damp. So that you wondered if that mm-hmm. might have played. Maybe that is the clue to his escape. I'm going to have to revisit these modern JSA issues just to kind of remind mm-hmm. myself of, of Killer Wasp and all that, everything that happened with him. So, shall we move on to our next story? Yes, let's buzz ahead to our next encounter with another wasp. This is the one that really prompted this episode. Issue 214 of The Flash, published on the 3rd of February 1972, has a number of reprinted stories, stories featuring... The Flash, Kid Flash, Jay Garrick, the Metal Men. Yay! But significantly, it features a, a reprinted story of a character called Quicksilver. Quicksilver made his first appearance in issue 5 of National Comics, published in September 1940, and he ran all the way up to issue 73, published in June 1949. We should describe him for you. Mm-hmm. He's a loose-fitting sort of white shirt blouse, blue trunks, blue leggings, a blue sort of cowl mask that has a red, almost harlequin domino mask effect at the front of it. Long blue gloves and very distinct large white collar, Mm. which I don't think is very aerodynamically sound. (laughs) Peter, can you remember when you first encountered this Quicksilver? This Quicksilver? It might have been... All-Star Squadron, maybe, in passing? Oh, honestly, I can't recall. I've been trying to remember if he actually appears in All-Star Squadron. I'm sure that he's seen in the background mm-hmm. of a couple of young All-Stars uh-huh. panels where they talk about Uncle Sam and his freedom fighters being in Washington and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Obviously, he was published by Quality Comics. National Comics published Quality Comics. published have said that. But uh, a version of this character obviously became much more prominent, much more popular in the 90s when Mark Wade got him involved in the, the seminal return of Barry Allen story mm-hmm. that ran late 92, early 1993 in the pages of The Flash when Quicksilver was brought back and renamed as Max Mercury. Yes. You know, we've talked about Mark Wade's run in The Flash in the 90s before, and as two old comic book guys that, you know, <laughs> are very nostalgic for our youth, and it's terrifying to think that this stuff was actually going on 30 years ago mm-hmm. that this story was being published, as, as we record. We won't spoil the story as such, but Barry Allen has essentially gone rogue, and Jay Garrick and Johnny Quick have to go and get some more help, and they visit a guy working in the subway called Max, yeah. who says he doesn't know what Jay's talking about, but Jay or Johnny thump the counter and all his subway tokens fall over, and Max uses super speed to get them all back together, and it's revealed that you know, he's this guy, so we cut, you know, he then gets involved in dealing with the rest of the story, and he becomes a bit of a recurring character in the page of The Flash, but then 
co-stars in the Impulse comic, which obviously starred Bart Yay. Allen, the Flash's grandson from the from the future. Great stuff. I got to say, the stuff that was done with Max Mercury in the nineties and in the two thousands is just some of my favourite stuff from that period. You know, yeah, it's so enjoyable. Such a great character. Very different from the other old speedsters. Mm. I say old speedsters. Very different from the other Golden Age speedsters. Both at the time and also how you subsequently used. Yeah. So it's going to be quite interesting some of the things that crop up when we cover this story. Yeah, because originally he was more just more of a an acrobat yeah. rather than a speedster as mm-hmm. such. And then when Mark Wade used them, and listeners, if you've read these stories, you'll, you'll know this, but forgive our indulgence, he became, in effect, the Zen master of speed. And this was when Mark Wade was introducing the idea of the speed force and mm-hmm. Max was kind of mentor to Wally in a way and help him overcome some of the limits that he'd put in himself. Yeah. And it was fascinating. And they did so much with Max. They gave him such a long storied history, his origins, that the previous characters that he'd yeah. been, including Windrunner and Whip Whirlwindy, because he had this tendency to, to jump forward in time every time he got to a certain speed. And it's nice that we're getting to do a story with him. It certainly is. Because he's not really going to pop up in anything else that we're going to cover. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not obviously going to deal with too much going beyond the crisis, etc. This story was published in issue 67 of National Comics, which, according to Mike's, was released in May 1948. But at this point, National Comics doesn't really have many other superheroes in mm-hmm. it. Quicksilver's pretty much the only costumed adventure at this point, so it's very interesting. It's a fun story. I'm reading from my, my reprint in Flash 214, but you can also find it on the, the Comic Book Plus website because the, the copyright has lapsed. They have a few issues of National Comics, so feel free to, mm-hmm. to wake about there and see what you can find. So, without any further ado, because I can tell that Peter wants me to get on with it, turn to page 27 of Flash 214, and a massive Quicksilver logo takes up the left-hand side of the page. We have a large splash panel, which shows Quicksilver standing on a rooftop, trying to get out of the, the way of a short, round man wearing a purple overall, and what looks like a weird contraption strapped to his back. A caption reads... Quicksilver meets the Wasp and barely escapes the sting of death. Yes, listeners, all that preamble has led us to another Wasp. So, our first story panel properly. We see this short man with thick glasses and thick eyebrows standing in the desk in front of a mustachioed well-to-do chap who is another besuited man standing behind him, obviously his attendant, and the short, bald man is saying, I invented the Wasp safety device for your auto-gyros. It's made a fortune. I want my money. And the mustachioed, dark-haired man in the suit replies, Evidently you didn't read the contract before signing it, Wasp. In the next panel, he boots the Wasp, for that is he, up the posterior, sends him flying, saying, You won't get a cent. Now scram, pest. And the little bald man with the thick glasses replies, You swindler! And he makes his leave in the next panel. We can hear the bad guy's laughter, ha ha ha, echoing from the room as the the angry, thick, eyebrowed, bow-tied-wearing wasp thinks, I'll get even if it's the last thing I do. Is that the first time someone said that in the podcast, Peter? Could be. Well, apart from myself, just generally in passing. (laughs) (laughs) I'll get even if it's the last thing I do. Top of page two, we can see the wasp. We don't really get another name for him. At work in his laboratory, he's a tiny man, so he's perched on a very tall stool to reach his bench. We can see that he's working on something. He thinks, I'll put some of my other inventions to use. First, these wings. And in the next panel, we can see the wing mechanism in the foreground as he stands in the background pouring liquid from a test tube into another test tube, thinking, Next, poison, for which 
There is no antidote. We're just going to leave that hanging for a second there, listeners. In the panel three, we can see him standing with a syringe-type mechanism in his hand, and he's thinking now. And I can make this long, hollow needle with its fine tapering point work like a hypodermic for the poison. Gosh. And then in the next panel, we see him lifting up a telephone receiver to make a call, and he thinks... I'll give them one more chance. Either they pay, or they'll feel the deadly sting of the wasp. And we see the well-to-do man, who punted the wasp out in the previous panel, sat back in his in his office chair, taking the phone, and he's saying, A million dollars? Are you crazy, wasp? Go ahead and do your worst. You haven't a legal leg to stand on. And his high-foreheaded, blonde, skinny, toadying assistant leans over and says, Mr. Shaw, don't you think we should cut him in? After all, he invented the... That little twerp! Just another poor sucker! Anyway, Lane, what can he do to us? And a slow dissolve, captioned for the final panel, page two, says... That's nice! And we see Quicksilver, in full superhero kit, just walking along the pavement. There's a (laughs) bunch of people standing outside what looks like the gates of a large house, all looking up at the sky. One man points and says... It went that way! A very attractive dark-haired lady in the red dress, she says... What is it? And... Quicksilver, I'm, hes- I'm fighting the urge to call him Max, because <laughs> obviously that's something that was invented years and years later. Quicksilver sees all this commotion and thinks, I wonder what's causing all the excitement. And he approaches one man in the crowd in the next panel, and the man says to him, It was like an insect, only big and hideous. It came down on Mr. Shaw's property. A policeman is arriving in the scene in the background of this panel. He says, What's wrong, Quicksilver? The next panel, Quicksilver and the police officer are running through the open gates around the big house. And Quicksilver says in response to the policeman, Must be something to it. They all saw it. Let's investigate. Probably a big bird caused this mass hysteria. A big sign on the, on the gate that says private keep out. The next panel, they've made it inside a building. And a voice can be heard saying, Help! As Quicksilver and the policeman rush through a door, the policeman says, Somebody's in trouble. And then in the next panel, they've rushed in and they found the body of Mr. Shaw. Quicksilver's cradling him. The policeman looks on, concerned. Quicksilver says, What happened? Try to speak. But all Mr. Shaw can do is groan. Uh, the policeman says in the next panel, There are no wounds. Yeah, no obvious wounds, but Quicksilver has spotted a tear in the sleeve of Mr. Shaw's jacket. And he says, Except the swelling on his arm. It looks like a poisonous insect bite. In the next panel, we move to outside the building, where the wasp, now in his purple unitard, and with his wings strapped around his body, is hovering, and he thinks, They'll never know what happened. Lane will be next. Inside, the policeman is standing looking at Mr. Shaw's body, and Quicksilver moves across the room, saying, I thought I heard something outside this window. In panel two, Quicksilver is leapt out of the window, and we see the legs of the wasp as he flies out of view. Next panel, the wasp is flying up in the sky, Quicksilver is rushing after him, saying, Great Scott, it does look like a huge insect. I mustn't let it get out of my sight. The next panel, it's a nice street shot, the wasp flying up above in the sky, and Quicksilver thinks, This truck is going in the right direction. He grabs hold of the truck that rushes off down the road. The truck passes under a low bridge arch type thing at the next panel. Max leaps off, thinking, It's lucky I was once a circus acrobat. At the next panel, Quicksilver stands and watches as the wasp approaches a tall, fancy building. Nice big fancy awning and a sign says, Elite Apartments. Quicksilver takes all of this in and thinks, I must get to the penthouse of the Elite Apartments as soon as possible. The thing, whatever it is, is alighting there. And the caption for the final panel of page four says, 
And 20 stories above. Oh yes, this looks very fancy. It's a nice big umbrella outside, nice big fancy table. A nice bit of carefully maintained bushwork going on. And the wasp flies down towards this veranda balcony situation and he thinks, I left Shaw's place in the nick of time, but no one will follow me here. The first panel of page five, he flies in through an open window and cries, Good evening, Mr. Lane. And we see the tall blonde assistant of Mr. Shaw, Mr. Lane, who recoils and cries, Wasp! Wasp hovers down in front of Mr. Lane in panel two, saying, You called me Wasp because I invented the Wasp safety device. The name is all you gave me, so I'm going to live up to it. Lane cries, What what, what do you want? And the little man leans in towards him in panel three, saying, To demonstrate some of my other inventions. These wings, this needle, and the poison in it. Lane is very, very scared at this point now, where he says, Wasp, I'll pay. I'll, I'll talk to Shaw. We'll... The next panel, the wasp holds up the needle and says, It's too late. Shaw is dead. And now I'm going to kill you. And the next panel, the door looks like it's actually been punched off its hinges by Quicksilver, who's arrived in the scene and says, Oh, no, you're not. One murder is enough. Lane cries, Quicksilver! In the next panel, the wasp has made an exit. He's running across the rooftop, about to take to the sky, and he says, You won't get me! And he's just about taken off. In the final panel of page five, as Quicksilver leaps from the building, grabbing the wasp round the leg, saying, Don't be too sure about that! The wasp, we can see the wasp is reaching to try and get away. In the first panel of page six, they both start to plummet back down towards the roof of the penthouse. Quicksilver still clinging onto the wasp's leg. In panel two, they're struggling. The wasp above Quicksilver trying to stab Max with the needle. Quicksilver says, Your wing is broken. You won't go far. Sure, we can see the damage to the equipment. The wasp replies, But you will, after you feel the sting of death. Very carefully and cleverly, Quicksilver does a flip kick, which carries the wasp over his head and sends him flying. Quicksilver says, but I'm very much alive. See, and with an oof, the wasp lands. In the next panel, we see that he has not landed well. The needle is poking into his stomach. He looks agonised as he cries, The needle! I've poisoned myself! Quicksilver yells, stop, and runs forward. And then panel five, the wasp looks terrified. This is awful. As he says, There is no antidote. I'm done for. And as Quicksilver looks on, Lane comes out onto the balcony saying, Quicksilver, what? And there's a slow dissolve. The caption says, Waiter. Lane is sat in his chair and he's saying, That's the story, Quicksilver. I wanted to cut Wasp in, but Shaw wouldn't do it. Anyway, I'm ready to take my medicine. And Quicksilver, leaning back casually, gets another piece of furniture opposite. Lane says, I hope you've already taken a Mr. Lane. And a close-up to round out the story, he says, when you do business from now on, remember that there is an antidote for greed. Generosity. And that is essentially the, the end. end. What do you think of that then? I thoroughly enjoyed that. It's such a shame that the wasp was killed off because he'd be a great recurring character. I feel quite sorry for him, actually. Yeah. It's tragic. I mean, he did kill Mr. Shaw, obviously, and he was trying to kill Mr. Yes. Lane, so I suppose he, he got his just desserts and... It was nice how the, the poison for which there is no antidote was flagged up so heavily in, in page two. <laughs> that was very amusing. I think the moral of the story is don't put your inventors up the bottom. Yes. Because if you do that, you're going to end up poisoned to death. 
<laughs> yes, there will be a sting in the tail. <laughs> I love the dynamic movement of the artwork. I mean, the stuff yeah. on, on page mm. four when when Quicksilver is reaching for the truck and then jumping off it, mm-hmm. it's it's much cleaner, much yeah. tidier than the, the artwork in the Wildcats story that we just uh-huh. read. And there's not a single hint, as we've said, of super speed in this story. No. As you mentioned there, leaping onto the truck... Basically, to save him a bit of a journey. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's evidence there, you know. It's, uh-huh. He's not running down at Mach 1 down the street or anything like that. So, yeah. No, but I mean, he, he must have been able to go at some speed to kind of to keep the, the wasp in sight and, you know, mm, not yeah, huh? let him get him too far away. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it makes sense. Why waste the energy if he can just. Maybe he's mm. just using his Zen mastery and sort of think of the conservation of energy. I think, yes, I'll just leap onto this truck rather than wasting my own powers. I really liked it. I mean, the the final struggle with them was outstanding. You know, just as they you know as they fall from the sky, mm-hmm. you really got a real sense of of the movement of it all. Very very kinetic, very frenetic. I loved it. Yeah, the wasp is very much like Mole Man from Marvel Comics. Yes, you feel a bit sorry for him, but obviously goes about things the wrong way. Kind of genius. So I, I did quite like that. Is a and obviously predates Mole Man, but you know. I suppose also as well, the lesson to take away from that is make sure you read the small print on all your contracts so you don't get yes. ripped off. You know, it's, mm. you think if he was so clever, he would have done that. Maybe he was too trusting. But Mr. Shaw, should, as Max says at the end, should not have been greedy. You should have perhaps gone to a lawyer and not his laboratory to deal with the situation. Yes. <laughs> but then we wouldn't have this fun story. Exactly. And we wouldn't be able to talk about Max Mercury for 10 minutes. Marvellous. Who appeared in the story just casually walking down the street as you do. Uh-huh. That was hilarious. You're just out for a stroll, da, 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 but just strolling down the street. Oh, not not out for a stroll. Out on patrol. He's he's out on patrol. He's 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 got a kind of whichever mm. city he was living in at this point. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the chronology of what they did with him in Impulse and the Flash mm. to remember when it was he, he leapt forward in time. Yeah, because I remember there's a, a nice bit when Jay Garrick makes a reference to one of the future stories to fighting the, the atomic skull or something like that. The screaming skull. That was it. The screaming okay. skull, and it was. One of, one of the, the the Flash secret files gave you a sort of missing page, which ah. showed them, and it was. I think it was referenced in two different stories, but different dates were given. Right, listeners, do I want to do a dedicated Mark Wade Speed Force Flash podcast? Of course I do. Anyway, maybe <laughs> one of these days. Yeah, that was it. That was probably the only time that I can think of that, that Quicksilver will make a, a definite proper appearance in the podcast. Now, of course, we yeah. should mention this had not occurred to me in the slightest, but there's something that Peter pointed out just before we started recording. Yes, of course, this is Quicksilver fighting the Wasp. Now, if you mentioned those names to people these days, you would automatically think of the two Avengers, well, the two Marvel characters, Quicksilver and the Wasp, who yes. I would say are maybe slightly more well-known than these guys. <laughs> I, would, I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. They might have appeared in you know several movies, etc., etc. Yes. Might be a founding Avenger and, you know, like a, one of the Cookie Quartet Avengers. Yes, uh, a one-time member of, of X-Factor and lumped in with all the other mutants. And I loved Quicksilver and X-Factor. Seriously, that was fantastic. Peter David's X Factor is so good. Which also enabled some brilliant audience baiting on One Division with the recasting of actors. Mm. Great stuff. And I loved the Wasp, especially when uh, Roger Stern was writing her as well in the Avengers. Yeah. That run there, she was amazing in that. Yeah, I love so Janet. Good. She's she's kind of you know in in my era of the Avengers, you know when mm-hmm. she was when she was team leader and all that sort of stuff. I I wasn't I'd kind of got hints of some of the stuff they'd done with her since, and I kind of had trouble reconciling that with the character that I read in the eighties, but. Mm-hmm. But there you go. And of course, when they did Amalcom Comics, Janet Van Dyne appeared as Elastigirl in the Unstoppable X-Patrol. Yes, uh-huh. she was Elastigirl, so yeah. So she did. That's right. Did they do anything with Quicksilver in, in Amalgam? I can't remember. I can't remember. 
I don't recall offhand. Oh, well, not to worry. There we are. Listeners, if you think they did something with Quicksilver, please get in touch and let us know. <laughs> yes, if you think they did. If you know, <laughs> definitely get in touch. If you think, maybe just have a bit more of a thing. Do some, we might do some digging too, I don't know. Where am I Malcolm Comics found? I think they're under DC, as in DC versus Marvel. I'm not sure. Need That's always a big question, is where do you file it? Because it's, it's, yeah. it's not one or t'other, indeed. Exactly. So, hmm. So, listeners, we're going to round things out now with a comic that was published on the 29th of June, 2021. What? Yes. That's madness. The only rules on this podcast are that there are no rules. Listeners, we originally planned we were going to do the Spice Marshall story in full, but then Peter remembered a story from the Green Arrow 80th anniversary 100-page Super Spectacular. So if you've seen the, the fantastic image that took me minutes of work that I put on Instagram this morning, you might have guessed that Green Arrow was going to turn up in the podcast. So mm-hmm. we're, if you have your copy of the, the Green Arrow 80th anniversary 100-page Super Spectacular to hand, flick to the second story and we'll jump straight into it, shall we? Yes, let's do so. Our opening large panel at the top of the first page, it's an indoor, old-school Heavily bricked, wooden beams overhead, style gymnasium. We can see bars on the wall, punching bags, all sorts of stuff, weights on the ground. We can see the, the door to the lavatory. There's a poster that mentions Al Pratt versus Ted Grant. That's fascinating. Mm. And a scene setting caption tells us we are, in fact, in... Brooklyn. Ted Grant's gym. And a story that's called... Punching, Punching Evil. Another caption box tells us that... Tom Taylor, writer... Nicola Scott, artist, Annette Kwok, colourist, Clayton Cowles, letterer. And this first image, as well as all the detail I've just described, shows none other than Ted Grant standing in the middle of a boxing ring and Green Arrow, still in his early first Silver Agey style Golden Agey uniform, with his arrows in his back, climbing into the ring too. And as Green Arrow climbs into the ring, Ted Grant has something in his hand which he offers him and says, put on the gloves. So it's Green Arrow replies in panel two. Look, you seem a good sword, old man, but I'm only here because I like Dinah, and she asked me to come. I don't think there's much you can teach. But he's interrupted by a voice off panel who says, Dad, I'll be back next week. And we see none other than Batman making an exit with a towel round his shoulders. <laughs> Green Arrow looks and exclaims, Batman? And he waves after him in the next panel, saying, It's good to see you again. And a very huffy Batman exits the proceedings saying, Of course it is, Green Arrow. How's the Arrow car and the Arrow cave? We cut back to the ring as Green Arrow, a bit of a face on him, says, Right, well, that was unnecessarily snide. The man has chips on both shoulders, but he's one of my best students. And he's willing to learn more, says Ted. Hey, I'm sorry if I, well, if I sounded as arrogant as that guy. Put on the gloves, says Ted. Caption... The first panel on page two says... 20 minutes later... Yes, and we see Green Arrow stripped to the waist, looking buff as you like. (laughs) Sweat pouring off him as he says... Ow. Keep moving your feet. Don't drop your left arm. Short jabs. Stop trying to knock me out. I I could probably follow all that better if you, you hadn't hit me in the head so many times. Proceedings are interrupted now with the arrival of Black Canary, looking utterly spectacular and actually quite like Rachel Riley off Countdown. That's really quite disturbing. (laughs) Maybe we should have got Rachel on the phone to do the voice. Black Canary says, Yeah, repeated brain trauma and complex instructions don't go so well together. And a very dazed-looking Ollie says, Well, hello there, pretty bird. What are you doing, Ollie? Keep your eyes on. And in the first panel of page three, there is a thud. 
Wildcat punches Green Arrow in the stomach and Canary winces in sympathy. Then it starts to climb into the ring in the next panel saying, Thanks for not aiming for his face. He's very pretty. Don't want to mess that up for you. It's appreciated, says Dinah. Dinah climbs in the next panel properly and through the, the ring saying, How did he do before you fed him his own ribs? Ted says, His footwork is awful. His left fist is an onlooker, but his right shows potential. I guess drawing that bow back has built up a lot of strength there. Canary leans down on Ollie, who's still doubled up on the floor, and she says, Can you work with him, Wildcat? Green Arrow replies, Wildcat? You, uh, you didn't tell me he was Wildcat. And Wildcat says in response to Canary, For you, kiddo, of course. I'll see him again next week. And Ted waves and makes his exit as Ollie on the ground says, <sighs> Well articulated, champ. That's fun. And a slow dissolve as you arrive at the top of page four and the caption says, Two months later. And we're back in the ring with Ted and with Green Arrow. You can see Green Arrow's bow being against the ring and his quiver is there too. Green Arrow sat on a stool listening to Wildcat who's saying, You're getting better. You knocked me down a lot. Sure, but... Now when I hit you, you can get up again. The fight's not over unless you stay down. Ted, as much fun as it is to come here for my weekly pummeling, I think I'm best off staying at arrows distance from heavy hitters in the field. I have trick arrows for every situation. And Green Arrow lifts up his quiver. Ted reaches for it, saying, Uh-huh, let me see those. And in panel three, with that <coughs> sound effect, he snaps them all. In panel four, we see the all the pieces of the fancy arrows falling as a distraught Oliver stroke green arrow looks on. We can see he's got a black eye in this panel. Excellent detailing. Wildcat then says, Now what you got? You can't punch evil from 20 feet away. Green arrow is in the next panel looking down at the, the shards of his arrows on, the, on the, the floor of the ring as Wildcat leans back and says, You're here because Dinah's worried about you. She wants you to be able to protect yourself. Do you want to always fight from a safe distance or be able to fight by her side? I want to be beside her. Always. Good man. And then they're interrupted in the next panel by a sound effect coming from above. Green Arrow reaches to put his mask on saying, You hear that? And Ted replies, No, but I've mostly heard a vague ringing since 1962. I've been hit in the head a lot. It's like a buzzing. And as we arrive at the top of page five, there is a massive boom, a massive explosion as the roof of the gym disappears. And we see revealed it's none other than the yellow wasp who we saw in that story we did earlier on. There is a buzz in the air as he stands looking buff and resplendent and says, Wildcat, finally! We see Green Arrow and Ted Grant lying in the ring amongst all the debris. They look up and Green Arrow says, who the hell is this? Yellow Wasp. Villain. Heavyweight. Don't know how he found my place, but we don't like each other. All right, Wasp. Get in the ring. I only need to land one punch. Ted stands up, puts on a boxing glove. In the next panel, at the top of the next page, there is a sudden bang. And it looks so like Ted's been shot in the head. Oh my gosh, he recoils. Green Arrow looks terrified. Ted falls to the ground in panel two. Green Arrow leans down and says, Ted! And then he turns to the next panel as the Yellow Wasp alights into the ring. Green Arrow says, You coward! The wasp replies, Coward am I! And with a thud, in the final panel of this page, he punches Green Arrow in the face. He flies up into the air in the next panel, saying, See ya, kid! To which Green Arrow replies, The 
fight isn't over. And there's a shunk sound effect as we see him taking the shaft of one of his arrows, forcing it into one of Ted Grant's boxing gloves. Panel two, these panels are all vertical and take up the full length of the page. Oliver pulls this boxing glove arrow back in his bow, aiming up into the air, and says, Hey, I'm not down. The boss looks down at him in the next panel. You can tell he's laughing. He says, Ha! <laughs> You've got to be kidding me! Ollie lets flight in the final panel, saying, He only needed to land one punch. And as we arrive at the first panel of page eight, there's a massive crack sound effect as the boxing glove and the arrow collides with the yellow wasp, carrying him completely. And in panel two, with a thud, he lands face down in the ring as Green Arrow looks on and Ted Grant gets to his feet, rubbing his head, saying, Your first knockout on the ring. Nice. Wildcat, you... You were shot in the head. Yeah, I got better. You... you what? <laughs> I have nine lives. Well, I'm down to six now, but thanks for avenging me. And Ted picks up the boxing glove arrow and says, and Thanks for making me a part of it. To which Green Arrow says, You mind if I keep that? And we finish in a fantastic shot of Green Arrow looking at this new boxing glove arrow with a nice sort of motif of his, some, of, some of his other clever arrows behind him. It's off camera. Ted says, It's yours. May you punch a lot of evil from 20 feet away. And a tiny caption says, End. End. Well, that was lovely, wasn't it, listeners? That's fantastic. Beautiful artwork from Nicholas Scott. Gorgeous. Indeed. Yes, the the most recent story I think we'll ever do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it probably is. 2021 listeners. Wow. Yeah. I loved that. Uh-huh. You know, the secret origin of Green Arrow's boxing glove arrow featuring the yellow wasp, who obviously yeah. did escape the hangman's noose in this whichever point of continuity we're in here. Looks like it. Post-crisis, post-rebirth, post-convergence, post-everything. Yeah. Wildcat having nine lives, I think, was something that Grant Morrison introduced in his JLA run. Mm. There was a really good JLA GSA crossover story that also mm. featured Captain Marvel, aka Shazam. Go and see the new movie, it's fantastic. I'm pretty sure it was it was in there when something bad happened to Wildcat and he kinda of woke up and sort of said he had nine lives and then there was yeah. a really good story where Wildcat and Power Girl were being chased by the new Crimson Avenger. Yeah. And Wildcat explained to Power Girl what had happened. So it's nice to see, mm-hmm. always always nice to see that referenced. And yeah. I'm sure at this point in 2021, we probably weren't seeing very many stories that dealt with that JLA year one era, mm. post-zero hour sweet spot when the whole legacy of the JSA guys and their yeah. and their relationships with the Silver Age guys was emphasised. That, uh-huh. was, that was lovely. That was an absolute treat. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. Again, don't think about it too much, because obviously the boxing glove arrow was in play before this point of Green Arrow's career, before he'd met Black Canary, etc, etc, etc. However... Ooh, come on, don't be a spoil sport. No, 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 I'm just saying that... <laughs> but obviously, as I said, we're post-crisis, we're post-rebirth, we're post-flashpoint, we're post-doomsday clock, we're post-everything that's changed things. So, yeah, it's mm. absolutely fine. What copy of the 80th anniversary Green Arrow are you reading from? Because each one had a variant cover. Well, the one that you gave me the other day mm-hmm. is the King Kong homaging style cover when he's on top of the Empire State Building. Still. Which is Zine Arrow at the top of it. Does it? That's Zine Arrow. Is it? Is that all yeah. right? Of course, because he's giant and tall and gangly. I had not made that connection. Well done. 
and he's got the lightning bolt. Boots. <laughs> That's why I gave you that one. Joe, <laughs> I, so I did not even register that. I didn't even look at it twice. I'm sure I've got another copy myself that I picked up oh. at the time, but I've no idea where it'll be. I'll have to have a look and see which cover right. it was that I got. I've got a feeling I probably would have gone for the Neil Adams one, let's be honest. Yeah. Well, this is Daniel Warren Johnson. I really like his artwork. Yeah. It's fantastic. Again, we're not going to talk about modern artists, really. So, yeah. That is excellent. I had not realised that was Zinaro. That's terrific. <laughs> Listeners... That's a throwback to another episode we did in 2021 mm-hmm. from a nice Jack Kirby Green Arrow story. If you haven't heard that episode, go back and look for it because it was a lot of fun. It's and it's you get all sorts of stuff about Zine Arrow and and other things, and it proved once again that the Flash was not the first superhero to travel to another dimension and meet a yes. parallel version of himself. I know, fantastic stuff. Gosh, fantastic stuff. that was great fun. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> that was great. That was a nice little secret file style bonus story that would have been that would have been stuck in and would have had us all delighted in the DC Comics message boards twenty odd years ago. Yeah. I did like the reference that Batman made to basically Ollie being a ripoff of him. And, you know, it's, of course. it's genuinely very, <laughs> and being incredibly dismissive of him as well. It's just, it's perfect. It's just so incredible. It's yes. just a, a lovely, fun story that is just yes. utterly disposable, but it's uh, huge amounts of fun. Yeah, a great fun little story. And the Wasp turning up for a couple of pages just lets us talk about it, which is nice. Yeah, there's actually loads of great stories in this 80th anniversary, 100 page super spectacular. Uh, another call back to an episode that we did. Yeah, there's loads of great creators in this, including Mike Grell's got a story in here as well. That's right. You've got people like Jeff Lemire, Andreas Fontino, mm-hmm. you've got Phil Hester, Andy Parks, Devin yep. Grayson. I love Devin Grayson's stuff, just not enough of it. Mm-hmm. This one by Tom Taylor. Ram V as well. Uh, and there's so many, so many wonderful variant covers for this as well. These anniversary issues that came out pretty rapidly after each other mm-hmm. were all really strong. There was always at least a couple of fantastic stories in, in each one. Mm-hmm. The narrow one's a particularly good one, so, so yeah, check it out, folks. Absolutely, it's probably on the app as well. Yeah. yeah, if you haven't picked any of them up, yeah, there was one for Aquaman, there was one for the Flash. I'm sure there was a few others. So mm-hmm. yeah, they're, they're worth checking out. Lots yeah. of fun. Well then, that's probably it for the wasps, isn't it? It is indeed. Yes, we can now buzz off, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> He said it, not me. <laughs> but before we go, don't forget, you can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com and let us know what you think about this interesting diversion. Follow us on social media. We'll be putting up lots of lovely bonus content for you on Facebook and Instagram. We're at the Earth 2 Podcast and on Twitter. We're at podcast underscore Earth 2. And it's the number two for all of our social media. Also, don't forget, you can leave us a voicemail at speakpipe.com forward slash the Earth 2 Podcast. That'd be nice. We haven't had one of those yet. Sigh. Again, we'll sort of say if you're feeling generous, you go to wherever it is you receive your podcast and give us a nice glowing review. That would be fun. We seem to have attracted a lot of new listeners recently, which is great. Very encouraging. Makes us feel less that we're shouting into the void. Mm-hmm. It's appreciated. If you're feeling even more generous, you go to our coffee page and buy Peter the price of a beverage, because that would be tremendous. That would be lovely. Well, next week, we return to the pages of Adventure Comics. But for why? Well, you should just have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. So until then, I've been Peter... I've been David. Thank you for listening. We'll see you soon on the Parallel Podcast. Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. The grotesque little man. Loon. Try that. That was a bit harsh. <laughs>